Well, good morning, Heritage. How are you? Oh, let's try that again. Bet Narf. Good morning, Heritage. How are you? All right. Well, hey, I want to welcome you here at Rock Island. Those of you at Bettendorf, uh, welcome. If you're new today, I'm telling you, this is a great weekend to be here. My name's Justin. I'm part of the ministry team here, and my role here at the church is that I oversee kind of our live-sent reality. So as a church, we talk about following Jesus. John 10, 10, Jesus says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. And as we do that, we live loved, linked in, Sent. So my role is I get to oversee and kind of direct some leadership around how we invest as a church in our outreach realities, our live-sent realities. And so if you're new, that's who I am. And last week, we began a journey in which we began to unpack the reality that our God is at work all around us. He's at work in our homes. He's at work in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. He's at work in our city, in the Quad Cities, and beyond, all around the world. And we began a journey with the reality of knowing that God is at work, and he is inviting us. One of the great privileges we have as followers of Christ is that a holy God invites us to be part of his work as we love him, as we love other people, and as we make disciples. Or another way to say that is that God invites us to go be love. And so we began that journey last week, and Pastor Sean unpacked the reality that God's love, the love of God, overcomes bondage. The good news is that through the love of God, we can overcome bondage. We can be free. He talked about Jesus' words in which he said, if the Son sets you free, you'll be what? Free indeed, right? Paul said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And so last week, we began that journey of a go be love. What does it look like for you and I to be free? And the great news is, is we can be free. But he hasn't just done that for us so that we could walk in freedom. He has asked Heritage Church and positioned us to be a place in which others can come and interact with this love and find freedom as well. Now, praise God he's doing it. Check this out. This last week, one gentleman that I was able to baptize, by the way, we baptized 76 people last week. How cool is that, right? <laughs> praise God. Only he can do that. But this one gentleman's story was that he had grown up most of his life and was an atheist, just didn't believe that God existed, didn't think there was proof. But after a series of events, God began to reveal to this young man that he was indeed real. Now, this man had fallen into pits of, of addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, and just didn't feel that there was much hope. But as God began to reveal himself to him a month ago, this young man surrendered his life to Christ. And check this out, has been completely free from that bondage and those, and those addictions. How amazing is that? If that's not cool enough, this last week, our Vida Nueva family that's getting ready next month to be repositioned in the Florisante neighborhood in the Esperanza Center, they're on this Go Be Love journey with us as well. And last week, they had a team that went down to the Esperanza Center, and they were going to walk around the Florisante neighborhood just praying this simple prayer. God, open our eyes to see the gaps. Open our eyes to see the ways that we as a church can stand in the gap and build bridges to people that we might earn the opportunity and the relationship and the platform to point them to Jesus. So they had teams that spread out all over Florissante neighborhood. One of those teams interacted with a family of 11 people. And as they engaged them and started to get to know them, told them a little bit about Vita, we're moving in, God opened the door to share the gospel. And guess what? All 11 people made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I share that with you because I want you to know God is doing incredible things here. And I even expect as we begin to engage the word together today that he is going to do something in this time together. It's going to lead us as a church to that next step, to that next place as we commit to go be loved as individuals, but also as a church. 
Now, God is also asking us and positioning us to link arms with other organizations and missionaries, both here in the Quad Cities and around the world. That's kind of where this faith promise idea comes in. This is where this booklet that's right on one of the chairs around you, I encourage you, some of you took one home last week and thumbed through it and took a look at it. If you didn't get one or you want to take one home or give it to a friend, please do that. This is a guide, not just for this series, for this month, but it'll be something that I encourage you to come back to over this entire year as we seek to be a church that goes and bees love uh, in our community. It's our faith promise giving that allows us to support the missionaries that you see in here and the organizations. Let me tell you a couple stories of how your giving has made a difference. In the Czech Republic right now, Czech Republic is a primarily an atheist country. Like many former communist nations, they're in a place where they just quite frankly don't believe that God exists. But the kingdom of God is expanding as the missionaries, some of whom we support, are out loving people, sharing the gospel, and lives are being transformed and churches are being planted all throughout the Czech Republic, in part because of our willingness as a church to be generous and to give to faith promise. We have a church in Poland that we sponsor and provide leadership for and financial um, contributions to help them get up off the ground. And the gospel is spreading there. In West Rock Island, Calvary International Revival Church, some of you remember two years ago, we raised 120000 plus as a church to help them do some work on their facilities. But Pastor Vitalis and that congregation is actively sharing the gospel now with over eight different African nations represented in that one church right in our own backyard in West Rock Island. And it's our giving, our faith promise giving, your generosity that is allowing that to happen. Wellsprings of Freedom is a ministry right now that God is blowing the doors off of. Hundreds of people in our church have been ministered to by Wellsprings. Many of you serve. In fact, they told me that 4,000 hours worth of ministry time has taken place since January 1, just to those within our church alone. But God is bringing freedom to people in the Quad Cities. But check this out. They're training teams around the world. Right now, there's a team in Germany that is ministering to missionaries that are raising up leaders there that are doing this ministry in their context. And there's a team in Turkey right now that is doing the same thing. And God is blowing the doors off of it, partly as a result of your generosity and our willingness to give to faith promise. So I encourage you, last week as you walked out of here, there was this sense of just asking you to seek the face of God to seek and hear from him. God, what would you have me do? And then just simply to be obedient. So I encourage you, continue that process. You can drop the commitment card off in the offering bucket any of the next few weeks. And there's more information out in your lobbies at the Go Be Love table. So I encourage you to check that out. And so today I'm going to invite Pastor Jeremiah to join me on stage. And he is going to unpack the reality that not only is God's love greater than bondage, like we checked out last week, but that God's love is greater than apathy. And what he has called us to as the followers of Christ, as we say we're going to go be love, is to conquer apathy and to live in a way that honors him as we meet the needs in our community. And so, sure. Jeremiah, can I pray for you? Please do. Nice the, shirt. Yeah, man. nice. I, you're, you're rocking it, man. I really like the hairdo. Oh, you're, great. It's fantastic. Great. It's great. And I can, can't tell why any of you would have a hard time telling us apart. <laughs> so let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, and God, your, your desire, a holy God, to invite your people to be a part of the work that you're already doing here in the Quad Cities and around the world. And God, our prayer is that we would answer the call, that we would be a people that would go be loved. So God, right now we open our ears and our hearts. We want to hear from you. Mm. Lord, thank you for your servant, Jeremiah. I pray that you would speak powerfully through him. And Lord Jesus, may you receive all the glory. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. 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 God bless you, brother. So it was an ordinary spring day when Cindy Perilin took her three children on a horseback ride on some fairly well-known trails that she and her family had been on many, many times before as they went to their favorite vacation area in western Canada. 
On this ordinary spring day, she and her three kids continued to trot on down these paths when suddenly, without warning, a mountain lion leapt from the underbrush and grabbed a hold of six-year-old Stephen, who was on his horse, grabbed him and pulled him to the ground. Cindy, the awesome mom that she is, immediately, instinctively leapt off of her horse and on the way down, reached over and ripped a limb off of a nearby tree and then proceeded to beat the ever-loving snot out of the mountain lion that was attacking her son. She used the tree limb to push and prod and push and prod and move the mountain lion away from the injured little boy. And then when she felt that there was enough of a perimeter, she invited her other two kids to come and grab their brother and run back to get help. When in the ensuing melee, the horses had run away, and so the other two kids grabbed six-year-old Stephen and took him to go get help. An hour after the attack first began, help arrived for Cindy. In that hour, the mountain lion had continued to lunge and attack and move away and lunge and attack and move away, and she had held him at bay. So when, when help arrived, the first thing she asked was, are my kids okay? And the answer being, yes, they're fine, Cindy's response was this, oh, I can die now. And in that moment, she collapsed. It's an amazing story, but it's not surprising. It's amazing because of the feat of human effort that was on display there, the amazing story of a mom beating off a mountain lion with a stick is amazing, but it's not surprising because that's what moms do when their offspring are in trouble, right? How many of you have ever crossed a mom? And yeah, there we go. (laughs) That's what moms do. It's an amazing but not surprising story. And Cindy's story, her heroic selflessness, her willingness to tackle the mountain lion and save her son, her willingness to pay whatever cost was necessary so her kids could find safety, it's not surprising. What would have been surprising is if Cindy had done nothing. If Cindy had sat on her high horse and watched this all take place, we would, we would be surprised and disgusted at that, wouldn't we? What would have been surprising is if Cindy had sat on her high horse and and applauded her son and said, you can do it, buddy, and offered encouragement and help from there, but that's not what she did. What Cindy demonstrates for us is the, the reality that love is greater than apathy. And the first fill in is this, that compassion is love greater than apathy. If apathy is sitting on your horse doing nothing, compassion is leaping on top of the mountain lion, though it costs everything. In the book of Matthew, Jesus has this really fascinating and sometimes it seems strange interaction about this idea of compassion. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 15 together. And what we can discover about Jesus' interaction in this passage of scripture about how you and I are to lean into the love greater than apathy, compassion. It could change everything for us. Before we get there, I want to just kind of unpack a little bit of what's been going on in Jesus' life and ministry before we kind of dig into the scriptures together. One of the things we need to know is that Jesus' ministry is on fire. 
amazing, incredible, out-of-this-world kinds of things are happening. Jesus has walked on water. He has used his disciples to miraculously feed over 10,000 people, just up leading to this moment. But even before that, people have had their sight restored. People who have never walked before are leaping for joy. People are finding new life and new hope. And Jesus leaves where all of this incredible ministry and action is happening to go to them. You know who the them is. Now, that may be really bad grammar, but we all know who the them is, right? The thems live in the places where it's not safe, where it's not cozy, where maybe great and amazing things aren't happening. We would call that the other side of the tracks or all kinds of other conversations around that or other language around that. But Jesus chooses to leave what is known and relatively safe for them. And this is how the scripture records that for us in Matthew chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. What we read very quickly there, that one verse actually encompasses a two-day journey. I don't know about you, but when I go on a two-day road trip with my friends, we have some fun stories to tell. The road trip to Tyre and Sidon, there, there are no stories to tell from the road trip. I think amazing and great things happened. But there's a sense we get in just this one verse that the whole two-day journey that Jesus took with his followers is for the interaction that we are about to dig into, okay? So here's what happens in the next verse. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering badly. And I want you to picture what's happening here. Jesus, leaving what is safe and known and, and relatively comfortable, goes to this place of ministry. He's walking down the road with his disciples to a place where a group of people live who are seen as the less thans, the very bottom of society, those who are used as disposable people, if there were ever such a thing. The Canaanites were considered disposable people that nobody had any time for. Nobody cared about them. And they were kind of ensconced up in this northern region called Tyre and Sidon. And Jesus intentionally leaves to that region. And along the way, as he's there, a woman from there runs out to Jesus. She hears that Jesus and his friends are around, and she runs to him. And she knows that Jesus can help her because her daughter is enduring the terrible hardship of demon possession. And she cries out to Jesus with respect and in earnestness, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering badly. So as that's happening, you can just get the sense that action is building up. Watch and see what Jesus does. Ready? Jesus did not answer a word. Awkward silence. I think what's happening here is that Jesus is traveling with his 12 best friends who know Jesus and his ministry better than anybody. They know the adventure of life with Jesus better than anybody else on the planet. They've seen him heal the sick. One of them, just the other night, has walked on water, and they've all been used as part of that miraculous feeding of over 10,000 people. Earlier in their story, Jesus has this interaction with them in Matthew 10. He tells these 12 followers, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, 
freely you have received, freely give. In other words, this passage right here, Jesus has just said to his 12 closest friends and followers that you have the permission from Jesus and the authority from heaven to do whatever it takes to see hope, healing, and newness of life come to be known in this world. It's a whoa God moment. This is huge. So what do, now that there's awkward silence and Jesus hasn't said anything and the disciples are kind of looking to wait and see what is going to happen, what do these commissioned miracle workers with authority from heaven to do whatever it takes to bring hope and healing to the world do? What is their response? So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Oh, no. As an aside, this is one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true. Because as a follower of Jesus, if you're recording in the annals of history what you and Jesus did together, this statement gets left out if I'm recording my story about Jesus, right? I don't want people to know that this is me. And yet, this is part of what's going on here. And, and what I think has happened here when the, that would bring these disciples to the place where they say, Jesus, send her away because she is bothering us with all of her begging, in another translation, is this, it's that the disciples mistakenly thought that the journey with Jesus was all about them. The disciples mistakenly thought that their journey with Jesus was all about them. Remember, it's a two-day road trip. And actually, later on, we're going to discover Jesus goes out of his way to have this interaction and then heads back home. So it's a four-day road trip for this interaction here. And the disciples mistakenly think as they're traveling on their way that the journey is about them not realizing that Jesus is taking them somewhere so that they can experience life and ministry in a new way and in a new place. And the reality for us here in this place, if you have said yes to Jesus, if you're in relationship with him, then just as much as these 12 friends of Jesus are, you are a commissioned miracle worker with authority from heaven to do whatever it takes to bring hope and life to the world around you. But sometimes, sometimes we think that our journey with Jesus is all about us, forgetting that the scriptures tell us that we have been called as ambassadors of Jesus who are to operate as though God himself were making his appeal through us. The story continues. Jesus answers after, after this moment, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. I want to I pause there because in our North American way of thinking, this kind of, this seems out of place. It doesn't seem very Jesus-y for this woman kneeling before Jesus to say, you know, Lord, help me, and Jesus to say, I'm, I was really only sent for the lost sheep of Israel. What we need to understand here is that this woman is seen as the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest, the most disposable of the most disposable people. And that a first century rabbi worth his salt, especially one as renowned as Jesus, would not interact with a Canaanite woman at all. 
And yet what we see here is Jesus interacting with her in the way he does actually elevates her from the lowest of the lowest of the lowest. And he begins to have a conversation with her in the same way that a great teacher would have a conversation with a favored student. It's an incredible moment. We're going to unpack a little more here in just a moment. So Jesus uh, knows that if, if someone comes to you at, with a request in the ancient world and you're seen as a prophet or a rabbi and you immediately meet that request, it's actually seen uh, almost as an act of pity and not an act of, of granting the request. That the request has value as there's an interplay between the asker, uh, between the giver and the receiver. And so he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. Bummer, right? Like, how are you processing this? But watch, watch what happens next. The woman says, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now remember, Jesus is interacting with her as one who would interact with a favored student. And she has just done it right. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, how many of you believe Jesus didn't have to walk for four days to heal that woman's daughter? He could have done it long distance, right? Yeah, he's Jesus. He can do amazing things like that. One of the, one of the things that I think is, is happening here that we need to understand is that though the woman came and approached Jesus with a very immediate, very desperate need for her daughter, Jesus knows the whole person. He sees the deeper story. And so as this woman comes to him asking for this very real, very immediate need, Jesus recognizes that what she need is, needs is even greater. And what Jesus does in this interaction is he intentionally preserved and restored the woman's dignity. Jesus intentionally preserved and restored the woman's dignity, moving from the very lowest of the low to being the only time, the only time, the only time. You get the sense this was the only time this happened? In Scripture, when Jesus directly tells someone they have great faith. This is the only time that happens. Other times when Jesus talks about great faith, he's talking about someone, not with them. Here, he is talking to the woman and says, you have great faith. Jesus was restoring her dignity. He realized that what she needed, more than just healing for her daughter, and yes, that was important, but she herself needed healing for her soul, and that would only come as her dignity was restored. And as you and I live out the love that is greater than apathy called compassion, we need to follow the model of Jesus in this interaction. So there's some incredible, amazing things going on, right? Yes, there are. Yep, mm -hmm, there are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to unpack a little bit of what we've just seen, okay? There are, as we watch Jesus do these amazing things, I want us to take just a moment and kind of look at what are some of the lessons we learn out of this interaction for us as we lean in to the ministries of compassion. So there are some observations I want us to just kind of track together, okay? The first one is this. It's that we are all in need of compassion. We are all in need of compassion. It's easy to see the woman in need of compassion, 
But what the disciples missed and what we miss is that we are all in need of compassion. Jesus left what was relatively safe and comfortable for the adventure of life on the edges, on the fringes of society. He had a four-day journey to interact with one person. I don't think, I don't think there's another person ever who had a schedule busier than Jesus, right? He had some things to do. And yet somehow, this God of gods, out of the busyness of ministry, left where it was happening to go interact with the one and to see her deep need and to carry her along. But that is just a smaller part of a bigger story. In the grander story, we know this, that heaven looked at us and saw that you and I were like sheep without a shepherd. And so the Son of God left the glory and majesty of heaven, laying aside the things of heaven to come and dwell among us. In the same way that Jesus went to go dwell with this woman. And it's a reminder that we are all in need of compassion. And when we understand that we are all in need of compassion, then it immediately breaks down the barrier of us versus them. If the disciples had understood the, the reality that we all need compassion, there wouldn't have been the sense that Jesus was going to the them. It's that we were going to go see more of us. Compassion breaks down those barriers. And when we understand that we all need compassion, we realize that, that we are all in this together. We're all in need of compassion. The next thing is this. Compassion is not about us. Compassion is not about us. And yet, sometimes we operate as though it is. And this is what I mean by that. When we become aware of a great need or a challenge, isn't there something that stirs up inside of you that says, man, somebody should do something about that, right? And so you take it the next step further, and you realize that you don't like the feeling that you have as your guts are kind of twisting up about this thing, and so you do what you can to make the feeling go away, to try to, to, try to find comfort again, or at least maybe I'm the only one who has ever done that, but I've done that. But in that moment, what I've done is I've immediately moved from, from opportunity for compassion to living out pity. Pity is when we express a gift or something for the benefit of us, primarily, so that that feeling goes away. Compassion is when we say that feeling is very likely the still small voice of God himself saying something must be done. And I can choose to meet the immediate thing so I feel better, or I can ask the Spirit of God in his wisdom to show me what is the deeper need. Jesus did that with the woman, right? She had an immediate need. Her daughter needed healing. But Jesus knew she needed healing for her soul. And he interacted in that way with her. It's not about us. And if it's not about us, then we're willing to go further, do more, sacrifice more. Compassion also engages the whole. We touched on that throughout this conversation, but as we said, Jesus knew the whole woman. He knew the whole society. He knew the whole culture. And as you and I interact with opportunities for compassion, one of the things that we need to realize is that the Holy Spirit can show us what the whole need is. That 
an immediate need is an opportunity for us to step into more with someone. That Jesus desires to reach the whole person, the whole community, the whole of society. And that's not just an immediate in and out opportunity. No, it's for us to, to go a little further, to do a little more, to ask Jesus to show us what he sees when he sees another person or another community. And an immediate act of compassion meets an immediate need, but understanding that compassion engages the whole, says we believe Jesus can change systems and structures that are, uh, that are oppressive and challenging. And that compassion is leaning in to that whole transformation. Which brings us to the next reality. It's that compassion is not complete. Compassion is not complete. We don't lean into ministries of compassion for the sake of compassion. No. Jesus is positioning you and me for more for an ongoing relationship, for adventure at the edges, for life beyond what we could ever know and experience in and of ourselves. But he's also positioning the people that we are called to, to experience fullness of life now and forevermore. And that means that we continue to journey, we continue to walk, that the ministry of compassion isn't an end in and of itself, but by leaning into the love that is greater than apathy, we actually can move people toward the love that is greater than despair, toward the love that is greater than injustice. God has so much for us as we lean into these. One of the ways that God is using us to meet immediate need is, is amazing. And he's using us to meet immediate need and positioning us for a long-term conversation that, that encompasses all of this and more. Many of you are aware that the country of Sierra Leone has endured traumatic event after traumatic event for many years. And most recently, they've gone through the, uh, the Ebola crisis. With a health challenge, our, our world has not yet had until this point to tackle. And as people were tackling the mountain lion of the Ebola crisis, the Wesleyan Church was there, Heritage was there, but in this new season, Sierra Leone has entered into a time when they're what's called food insecure, which is a really nice way of saying people are starving. And what I love about Heritage is we were not okay with that. And one of the things that God positioned us to do is realize that we have our, our Wesleyan pastors and friends in that country who are standing in the gap who are meeting long-term needs, but they cannot feed themselves or their families. And so Heritage, because you gave to Faith Promise, because you were faithful in that, you need to see these pictures, okay? This is of a rice distribution that recently took place where these bags are gifts from Heritage, these bags and more. Because Heritage, what you were used to do is to feed every Wesleyan pastor and their families in the entire country of Sierra Leone. That deserves some applause. Go God. Look at the, look at the next picture. I love this. Like they're taking their food however they can get it, right? They're riding on a scooter home. And I, you have to imagine the hope and the life and the light that is in that moment. You were used to meet the very practical, very real need so that 
the whole country could know and sense the compassion that Jesus has for them. You're awesome, or Jesus through you is awesome. Thanks for being part of that. The reality is, you and I are positioned as never before, as Heritage Church, we are positioned as never before to tackle the mountain lions of injustice and of challenge. We are positioned as never before to tackle the mountain lions of hunger, the mountain lions of bondage, the mountain lions of addiction and brokenness. God has positioned us as a church to tackle these challenges as we live out the love that is greater than apathy of compassion. As we go be love, God is positioning us to experience a great and wonderful adventure. You want to hear more about how we're being positioned for that? You can check out pages 15 and 16 in your booklet. You'll see some of the partnerships that we're part of, but that's just beginning to scratch the surface of what God has for us. But in all of that, as Pastor Sean likes to ask as we kind of begin to process this together, he says, so what? Now what? We can learn a great deal about Jesus' interaction with this woman. We can talk about how the disciples missed the point. We can unpack what compassion is. But it's what we do with it that matters. It is so important that we carry this beyond this moment. Why? There's a passage in Scripture in James chapter 4. It says this, Whoever knows what is good to do and does not do it is guilty of sin. Whoever does not do what is good to do is guilty of sin. So we need to do something with this, right? The first thing I think that God has for us to do as we lean into what he desires for us is to repent of the sin of apathy. To repent of the sin of apathy. Repentance isn't just apologizing or asking for forgiveness, but it's asking Jesus to reposition us for new opportunity. It's positioning, repositioning our mindset. It's repositioning our hearts. And apathy can look like just sitting on your horse and doing nothing, but sometimes apathy can actually look like feeding that cycle of pity. And I believe that, that God desires us to know a new and better way, and that begins with you and me individually and corporately saying, Jesus, please forgive us for our sin of apathy. Show us what you see, and give us courage to engage with it. And he will be faithful to answer that prayer, I tell you what. But one of the challenges for us is we don't even know then how to, engage, how to become more aware, how, how to invest or engage in compassion. It's, it's kind of a challenge for us. One of the, one of the misthoughts we sometimes have is that our our heart or our money will follow our heart, that if we really believe in something, we'll invest in it, right? That if we really, really believe something is necessary or that it's really, really good, then we will invest in it. But what Jesus tells us in the book of Matthew is that where our treasure is, there our heart follows. In other words, that our our heart follows our money, not the other way around. And so if you want to begin to, to sense with fresh passion what God has for you and for charity and for heritage in the ministry of compassion, then the simple next step is this. It's to commit to faith promise giving. 
It's to commit to faith promise giving. That's not a cheesy aside or a, or a sideways sales pitch. I genuinely believe that if you place your treasure there, that God will move your heart toward the things of compassion. Sign up for the, for the email updates. You can do that right here on the card that you have. If you sign up for the email updates, now you're going to see what your investment, what your commitment is bringing. And you watch as your heart begins to break and break and break and passion begins to well up within you to see Jesus do the impossible the world over and right at home. We are made for so much more. And the, the adventure is just beginning. You know, uh, we talked about the disciples and the fact that they were commissioned miracle workers with authority from heaven to do whatever it took to see hope and healing known. That's our story too. That's, that's the reality of who we are if we are in Jesus. Now maybe today you're here and... and God has been speaking to your heart about, about your need simply for him. You have been crying out to him with a very physical, very real need, but he's telling you, no, no, I want to do that, but I really want to bring healing to your soul. And your first step is to experience that. But if you're already a follower of Jesus, I believe, I believe that we are positioned for amazing things. We began this conversation telling the story about Cindy Perlin and how when people hear that story, they say that is amazing but not surprising. Church, I believe we are positioned to go be love in such amazing God-honoring ways that, that we will pay extra cost, that we will journey with someone, that we will lean so much into the reality of compassion, that we will be seen tackling the mountain lines of injustice and despair, of challenge in the people around us, so much so that the community around us would say that is amazing but not surprising because it's who they are and it's what they do. Let's pray. Father, dear, thank you so much for the gift of your word for the gift of adventure in you. God, I thank you for the mercy and the hope and the life that we see in, in the passage that we unpacked together. God, I thank you that you have called us to adventure with you, to journey with you, to be ambassadors as though you yourself were making your appeal through us. But God, I know that I myself have fallen so short. And God, I'm on behalf of me and on behalf of these people, Lord, we repent. We ask you to give us the grace and courage to turn away from apathy and to lean into compassion that brings you glory and honor. God, show us what that looks like. Show us how to be your people as we go be loved. God, you are so good to us. We are so thankful for you. God, I thank you for this church and the way that they desire to see and know you and make you known. And I ask that you would show us how to do that afresh and anew every day. We want to love you more. Would you show us how to do that? Even now we pray in Jesus' name, amen.